voice on all to the Fearless in Devo- Devotion podcast, uh, the Wrexham AFC podcast sponsored by the Fat Boar Bar and Restaurant. No Tim or Andy this week. Uh, Tim's on his way back from Armenia. Do we know where Andy's on his way back from? He's on a plane. That's all we know. Is he on his way to Istanbul or on his way back? He... I don't know. No, no one ever knows. He's, ne- he's never at home. That's all we know. Um, so you're stuck with me, Liam, and Tommy for now. But we do have a very special guest coming up for you uh, in a few minutes on this podcast. Before that, though, let's digest a very disappointing weekend for poor wise for uh, both Cymru and Wrexham. Defeats um, for the men and women. I've just got back from the Swansea.com stadium. Uh, disappointing result there. But on Saturday, a wet and cold uh, 2-0 away loss at Accrington Stanley. Big top red points to those of you who made the trip up. It looked horrible. Tommy, you were one of them. Uh, not much to shout about. Absolutely nothing to shout about. It was <laughs> one of the grimmest afternoons I've had in a long, long time. Uh, uh-huh. It was a bit of a throwback, actually, to the dark days. But, um, yeah, it, it just um, just never got going. Never got going. I still say we could, we could be playing now, we wouldn't score. Um, and, you know, I even joked when... Um, uh, when we got the penalty, I said, oh, at least we'll have a shot on target now. Uh, and we didn't. <laughs> so, you know, that's uh, pretty much yeah. sums it all up, I think. Yeah, I think it does. Liam, uh, you were watching, like me, I suppose, on the on the screen. Um, it just, just one of those days, wasn't it? Yeah, I was just feeling drained by the end of it. It was one of those games of the football, not really pretty to watch. Uh, one of those reminders that you sort of need every once in a while that we're not indestructible, but just everything about it was really frustrating, you know, from the referee. Um, I'm not going to have too much of a go at Accrington's tactics because they played to their strengths and we struggled to match them. So, but yeah, it was a, it was a tough game to watch. Not a tenner that I'd spend again if I knew what was coming up, to be honest. No, yeah, that was grim. And we do have some reaction from Tim as well, uh, who sent us uh, a voice note. So here's some of Tim's uh, opinions on the game. Yeah, 2 0, rubbish. Um, I've looked at the penalties. I think both are stonewallers. I think people are concentrating on the Jordan one for, for the penalty given against us. But I think for me, it's the Will Boyle challenge on, on their manager, bundles him over, so gives the referee an easy decision to make. I think the uh, the penalty on Evans is a stonewaller as well. And it's just one of those days when Mullin smashes against the bar just like he did from open play earlier in the game. So it's one of those, you know, it's first defeat in 12. It's not the end of the world. It's the end of the run. And hopefully a start of another one will begin this Saturday. We're really still in a good position. You know, we found our feet. We we got a little, got caught a little bit yesterday in terms of the physicality at Accrington. Um, glad to see they won the, won the Champions League though against Wrexham yesterday. Some outstanding celebrations, um, I really hope. All their many thousands of fans turn up for the rest of the season and celebrate immensely against every other team that goes there. Yeah, big celebrations up uh, for Accrington. And there's a bit more to come from this as well, because listeners um, last week will remember uh, Tim's song for Arthur Okonkwo. Um, and we regret to inform you that he's been at it again. He ran a poll to find out what song uh, you guys wanted to fit with an Arthur Okonkwo chant. So he sent us another voice note. Uh, and here's that. For some bizarre reason, 40% of you, and there's only about three or 400 votes, thankfully, so maybe that's telling me something, um, have opted to go for Aqua and Barbie Girl. So I've got to do Arthur Honko in that song. Now, bearing in mind, I'm sending this off my phone in deepest, darkest Armenia. I don't have a backing track to go along with, so you're just going to have to put this to the music or imagine it in your head. So, right, this is horrendous, by the way. Please don't give me too too many pelters because I know it's shit, but I've had to think on the spot uh, about the lyrics for this one. So here we go. Right, okay. I'm readying myself for this. Okay. Arthur Oconquo, he plays in Wrexham's go. He's fantastic. Rarely drastic. Plays with lots of flair. Makes saves from everywhere. A fascination. We've still got Rob Lainton. There you go. I told you it was pretty shit. Um, that's what happens when people catch you on the spot. Anyway, as we had a, a dismal day for both uh, Wrexham and Wales yesterday, I'll give you, I'll bust you out my shitty Chesney Hawk songs to I Am The One and Only. Anyway, how oh, does that go again? Arthur, Arthur a the goalkeeper for you and me. Arthur, Arthur a 
He's got big hands. He's six foot three. Technically, he's six foot six, but you can see where I had to go from to rhyme it. Anyway, this is almost five minutes of my utter nonsense. I'm sorry for. I have to cut him off early because it just. Yeah. It, I, I, I lost I, for I words. Really, I really hope he gets waterboarded by the uh, Armenian authorities while he's over there after that. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm growing increasingly concerned that Tim is in need of a serious intervention, but uh, <laughs> I, I think the less said about that, the better. Um, let's talk a bit more about the game. I mean, Tommy, um, obviously having two left wing backs out, you know, how, how did Jordan play? Was it obvious that we were sort of, that was sort of affected our system? Yeah, I think it definitely affected us. I, I don't think Jordan had a bad game. I think Jordan's one of the players he can slot in anywhere, is uh, can he? But um, 100% affected us big time. Um, but um, I, I just it's just one of those performances, really. Yesterday, I was sort of looking back at it now and, and just sort of, you can't, you almost can't describe it after how well we've been playing. Um, you know, to go to places like Mansfield and Knotts and, and get, you know, pick up wins there. And all of a sudden, we go to Atkinson. Don't get me wrong, Atkinson a good side. I think Liam's, Liam's right there as well. They've got a system. They're, they're very effective. Um, but, yeah, really, really disappointing. And, you know, I hate to, I hate to go back uh, to, you know, how much money, uh, you know, how much of a budget we've got and stuff like that. But really, uh, it's it's not really acceptable to, uh, to put in performances like that. I don't want to be too harsh on the players who have been excellent for us, but... That's not good enough. That can't happen again, really. Um, you know, that's two really, really bad performances on the road after the Stockport game now. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed, lessons are learned and we uh, we get back on a run again. Yeah, let's hope we can turn that around quite quickly. Uh, Liam, some afters with uh, Accrington's boss on Twitter as well, Andy Holt, wasn't there? And also a police appeal for vapes being thrown at their keeper. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of vapes anyway, to be honest. I think sm cigarettes are more honest because you know what you're going to get. You don't get someone's sort of blowing blueberry in your face or something like that. Um, but yeah, oh, unpleasant scenes that we hate to see. Um, I, th I think the referee actually took them over as evidence to the fourth official. So he had several vapes in his hand and uh, various bits and bobs. So we don't want any of that. Uh, in terms of Andy Holt, I thought... You know, that pretty much as soon as that tweet went out yesterday where we were rubbing it in a bit, saying we were going to cut prices by a fiver when they come to our place, I just knew we were going to lose from the minute I saw that tweet, pretty much. Um, and then he's been going on ever since they won Accrington 2, Hollywood nil. I think Ryan Reynolds should cut prices by a tenner. Safe journey home, folks. Get that on Netflix, Ryan, lad. Wow. Um, and he's pretty much not stopped since then, even. I wonder when people will realise it's not on Netflix because that's it's been what three years now and it's still the go-to. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, Wales draw with Armenia. I mean, we're not a Wales podcast, but always uh, Tommy disappointing. Hey, I mean, just so frustrating when you know did the hard work of beating Croatia and then again not just not getting the results, but just the the, the manner of the performance really. Yeah, I, mean, I was able to catch a large part of the first half, um, so I, I didn't see any of it after that, but it does sound like a really disappointing one. Uh, obviously, the result isn't good enough. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, again, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's almost like Wrexham, isn't it? Done so well over the last, like, few games. Uh, and, yeah, that's just knocked us backwards. So, um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's also like a nice little throwback to the uh, the good old days of Wales and Wrexham letting you down on weekends. So, uh, so yeah, <laughs> at least there's that. Yeah, it feels very familiar, doesn't it? I mean, uh, uh, also, Liam, there's a possible transfer update, is there not? Um, well, Luke Armstrong from Harrogate, who we were linked to in the summer, there was another story out on the weekend, not linking them, him with us, but just that he may have played his last game for Harrogate. Is that right? Yeah, manager Simon Weaver's said, basically confirmed that moving forward, he's going to prioritise game time for, quote, players who are going to be available from January onwards. So that pretty much bluntly points to the fact that Luke Armstrong will not be with Harrogate uh, from January. Now, there's a lot of speculation that we're probably, well, we're sort of duty or honour bound, should we say, to go back in from January. I don't know how much I, I chime with that, but I suspect that... You know, with um, with players out, etc. 
it's probably something we need. It's just the fee I balk a bit. I, I can't. I don't really fancy spending half a million on a player who's got six months left on his deal. But we'll no doubt see how that one goes when the window opens. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see us make a couple of moves in January anyway. Um, but we'll see. We'll see where we are quickly before our very special guest joins us this week. Wrexham women uh, defeat in a very cold Swansea.com stadium. I don't think. Uh, if you guys watched it, I don't think we can have any arguments. I thought they were by far the the better side. Um, disappointed, obviously, having to, having gone one nil up, but you know you could see that the team missed Rosie Hughes. Um, uh, strikers are too isolated, and to be fair to Swansea, they had a couple of quality player players, um, especially in the sort of attacking midfield and up the wings. So that was disappointing. So this is a very negative podcast so far. So let's try and <laughs> let's try and liven up a little bit now with a guest. Um, I'll admit him uh, in from the waiting room. Um, that's very good of you. That's very good of me. And he will have to turn on his mic and his camera. So we we try to make this as as difficult as possible as a as a hostile an environment as we possibly can to our guests. Here he is uh, today. Good, thank you. Today's guest came through the youth system at Wrexham, made his first team debut in January 2006 against Rushton and Diamonds, in which he and his brother became the seventh pair of brothers to represent Wrexham. An industrious, red-headed striker, represented Wales at under-17, under-19 and under-21 level, as well as scoring 17 goals for Wrexham. And Dean Saunders compared him in passing once to Thierry Henry. Please welcome Mark Williams. How are you? How are we? Good evening. Yeah, we're very well, thank you. Well, we're quite well. It's been quite a, a depressing podcast so far because we've had two defeats uh, this weekend, obviously, for Wrexham men and women and then Wales as well. Um, which was disappointing, but um, we, we hoping just, we, we've just lost last minute as well, Carnarvon. So it's a <laughs> bad weekend all around. Oh, oh man, oh this is grim. Okay, well look, let's try, let's try and let's try and <laughs> liven things up a little bit. Um, first of all, um, answer a question for us because the internet gives us three different answers. Where did you grow up? Was it Sandidno, Colwyn Bay, or Penmine Mound? Well, we'll just go if we're going on stats. I had 17 goals for Exum. It was a little bit more than that. The cup goals aren't in there. Um, oh, sorry. I'll let them off though. Uh, no, tell us how many. Set the record straight. I'm not too sure how many, but um, I remember that particular season under Saunders. Um, I scored 17, so I know there's 17 in the one season. Okay, and then a couple here and there. So I think they're 20 odd or so, but. I don't think I don't think the FA Vars and, and things are on Wikipedia. So <laughs> Well they should be. Well, oh, I, well might, I might try and change it. <laughs> uh where where did you grow up, Mark? I grew up in I was born in Bangor, but I was, I, I actually grew up in Pamamao. So um mm. till the age of seven or eight it was in Pamamao and then we moved to Rose on Sea. But yeah, a lot of people because I played for Colin Bay Arabs for the through for, for, obviously I, I signed for Exmouth Academy, but it was always Colin Bay, Colin Bay, and then because when I came out, you know, went to part time football after Chester, it was Colin Bay, but then I played a lot of time at Clandidno. So everyone, people think I'm a Clandidno lad. I live in Clandidno now. Other people think I'm from Colin Bay, um, but yeah, I, I actually grew up in Pamamal. Okay. Just a North Wales utility player, really, just for all over. Um, how yeah. how old were you when you joined the youth system then? And sort of who were the big influences there when you were there? I would say, oh, I think I think I went to the academy around. I was around eight years old. Um, and at the time, it was yeah. We I'm trying to think. I think Steve Weaver played the part. Mike Buxton was academy. Uh, you know, he ran the academy as such, and and yeah, it was Steve Weaver. And interesting looking back, you know, I had coaches like Hugh Griffiths, who obviously went on to Kevin Druids and Carnarvon, Steve Cooper, who who now in the Premier League. Um, yeah, so it was uh, yeah. From the age of eight, I got I got scouted, and and that's where the journey began. Yeah, proper grounding was uh, was Joey around a lot, Joey Jones, because. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Joey, obviously, being from Clandidno, I knew a lot about Joey as well. But I think Joey, in terms of my academy days, it, it wasn't really until I was 15, 16, where, you know, my, you know, the influence of Joey came in because all of a sudden I used to get day release. Um, it sounds bad, that day release. But 
they released from school and and obviously my brother was already a YT, so it was quite nice. I'd, I'd go and train with the youth team uh, and then be, be be around the first years and second years. So, and that, that that's where then obviously I met Joey in and then he played a pivotal part over the next two or three years. You, you mentioned your brother, Mike, there. Um, so obviously when you were given your debut, you were only 17, so pretty young, mm-hmm. um, but your brother was on the pitch. I mean, did that, did that help? Yeah, I think... I think obviously having the older brother helped always throughout because uh, for me as a young lad, I mean, we were always in the garden, in the playground, I was always playing years above. So in year three, you, you know, I'm playing with year five, year six, and the same happened in high school. And once we we moved to Colwyn Bay, I I always played in Mike's team. So I always played a year, well, he's 18 then, so I always played two years above almost. And I think that helped my development uh, so then a case of then when it came to, you know, I was in the under 16s, Mike was uh, a YTS. I was then playing with the 17s with Mike. And then it was a case of in the reserves. And, and then all of a sudden you're in the first team. So I think having Mike there always helped me. It certainly helped me as a YTS. I mean, it's different now. And I know it's different from going into to football clubs. But when when you go in as a YTS, you, you really have to learn your trade. And there's lots of things that go on and Having Mike as an older brother the year above certainly helped when there's lights out and the lights go out, you all get your towels and it, it's basically let's beat the year ones up. But listen, it's all it's all part of it. It really is. And it's not there today for obvious reasons, but you know, I think having Mike helped it, it's almost like I had someone having my back. Uh I don't think they went as light though. I, you know, there's a couple of players that probably thought, listen, we'll we'll give will give his little brother a, a beating, but it was all part of it. And, and it, yeah, it was great fun, to be honest. I was going to say, did you grow up in a Ray Winston movie, mate? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I was just going to jump in. As you, you know, uh, I, I obviously remember, um, yeah. you know, I think you're a couple of years younger than me, but uh, I remember you coming through the ranks and that season where you were just, you were on, on fire, weren't you? Uh, yeah. First season in the National League. And, Got into the Wales under twenty ones, mate. Played with some massive names who've had brilliant careers. What was that like? Do you know what? I, I mean, it's I probably you know I relive it most days with the job I do now. But I, I say that particular year, I'll be honest. There's there's nothing that's come close to it. I, I and I say if I could relive a year, it'd be that year of my life. It was like. You're flying around the world. I mean, we're, we're in Budapest for a qualifier. You're off to, to Italy and it's like, yeah, you've got Gareth Bale, Ramsey, Joe Allen. And it it, it became the normal because you just, they're your teammates. So I never once was in the change room thinking, what am I doing here? It was kind of like, wow, you know, they're already in the championship. Joe Allen had actually come out alone, hadn't he, to us. So I knew Joe well anyway, even though it was a short spell and he got injured, but... I always got on with Joe and then kind of you go away with Wales and it just gave you that feeling of, I want this so much to move up it. And it made me a better player. And I think with that, then it was the, the, the obviously Dean Saunders came in and, and turned me from a number 10 that linked up the play to, he just got in my head about goals and he, he turned me that year into a goal scorer. And, as well as the linking up the play. And that, that's when all of a sudden people start to think, wow, we've got a player here because you know, goals, people talk about, you look at Paul Mullen, don't you? Um, yeah, all-round plays good, people working hard's great. But when you score goals, it wins matches. So, And that's certainly that year, everything seemed to come off until, unfortunately, the injury. Yeah, well, I was just going to get on to that now, mate. I mean, uh, unfortunately, after you know being on fire, banging in the goals, playing your best football... You had that injury and and that just, uh, you know, I don't know if derails the wrong word, but, you know, it, it really, it, it impacted you, mate, didn't it? You know, that was tough. Yeah, it was it was difficult at the time. I mean, you don't realise how one injury, looking back now, it's easy to look at it all, but that injury, you think, wow, it couldn't have been at the worst time. Uh, four weeks prior to that, obviously, I'd sat with Dean Saunders. It was a case of staying at Wrexham uh, or moving on. There was lots of offers from higher clubs and, you know, from a young lad, my dreams were to play higher. So the chance was there in that January to actually leave. Uh, you know, my agent ringing me, he's throwing championship clubs, league one clubs at the time. And I think, you know, that that's probably the best I've ever played that particular year. I, My dad always used to say, when Mark's on it, 
it's like he's six foot six. I'm actually five ten, <laughs> but honestly, that year I felt I felt unstoppable. I, I I've never been the quickest, but I felt sharp. You know, I felt like I could run all day. I felt like we're not winning. I need to do something. I, I turned up a gear and and yeah, it, it went for me. And then the injury happened, um, and then obviously I had to come back from that. And I remember that pre-season, the first game back was Coventry. Uh, we drew 1-1, keeper came out and Neil Taylor, it was actually, he rolled it across and I had to just tap it into an empty net and it was like, there we go, we drew 1-1, normal service resumed almost and Tuesday night we played Preston and I rolled my ankle ligaments on the foot that I broke and I missed that whole pre-season and then it was a fight, it was like being someone's going, got to be fit for Eastbourne first game. So I basically didn't do anything until the Friday before that Eastbourne game. And I was on the bench against Eastbourne. Wasn't fit enough. Wasn't fit enough. Hadn't kicked the ball. He put me on, I think, for 20 minutes. And I remember, it's weird how you remember moments because goals just change everything. I remember having a good chance and it just whistled past the post. We went 3-0, I think, on the day. And I look at that, I think, imagine that went in. My mind might have just completely changed. Didn't go in trying to get fitness, just couldn't get that fitness. I wasn't really playing in and out of the team, didn't score. Then I got injured again, then again, and then obviously I had my second break. So within within of nearly leaving, and, and I didn't want to leave because I was only 20 as well. It was, it was almost like we're second in the league with two points off. You know, I want to play this part, which I was playing at the time to get Rex and promoted. And I think being a kid growing up through the academy, the fans, the way they were with me that year, it was like, no, I I couldn't leave, even though it was conference football. It was, I, all I wanted to do was get them back in the football league. And and that year I thought, and Saunders said, Mark, I'll take you high. You've got, you've got your rest of your career. I'll sit here tonight. The 15 years has gone like that. And, and obviously from the injuries and what happened, it, it escalated out of control to the point I, I started gambling. Yeah, I mean, so probably come on to that in a bit, Mark. But I just wanted to go back to, obviously, uh, Brian Little leaving and Saunders coming in. And, you know, a lot of um, a lot of fans, uh, myself included, sort of look back at Saunders' time as a bit sort of up and down. But, I mean, clearly he was great for you because he believed, he believed in you, didn't he? He, he? The first year he was, in the end, I mean, I actually returned back to the race course last Saturday and the announcer said something regarding you know, the negative side of it, unfortunately. And, you know, and, and I am public with it. In the end, it, he wasn't great. Um, and it was like I was a nobody. I'd gone from this this person that was first on his team sheet and he told me that and he did everything. I mean, he, we had moments. And for me, if you think I'm 20 years old, I remember scoring the winner at Stevenage 2-1. Michael Proctor played in the Premier League for Sunderland. And he's come on the coach, Saunders, and he was always, he was such a joker. Every, you know, everyone talks about that. And it, But there was a certain few players that was just getting a bit pushed out. I think Sam Easton was in that, Tom Kearney, Proctor was amongst that. Me and Jeff Lee, we were, were starting. Sufo was on the bench. I, I was almost like feeling he was pushing these lads out. If if you weren't in his plans, you felt it. And I, I, I mean, this, this story, it was fine for me at this point because I was obviously... His number one, and he walked to the back of the bus with a couple of beers, and he walked around as he did with his swagger, and and he actually came to me and Proctor, and he he went to give it Proctor, went no, not for you, and he'd been on the bench, Proctor. And I'm looking at him thinking, you know, I'm looking up to Proctor. He's come, you know, he, he kept us up the the uh, two years prior, you know, the the, the goal at Shrewsbury. I, I was obviously watching. I was on the bench. I was a young lad. And, you know, I'm learning off him every day. And, I'm, and and then all of a sudden, no, not for you. You're not my man. And he gave me a beer and he was like, there you go. You're my main man. And just walked back to the front. And at the time, for me, at 20, I'm thinking, oh, my God, the manager loves me. And I'm just there with a beer, bottle of beer at the back of the grate. I never once at that point thought, how does Michael Proctor feel? Because it was Michael Proctor. But I look back now and I think, wow, them little moments, I then felt almost year and a half later and and it got to the point where yeah it, it got really bad and I hated being at Rex and my, it was so lonely I didn't want to go in and, and that's where the gambling escalated even more because it was easier to gamble because I felt comfort there 
than it was to deal with how I was being treated at the club. And and it, it that was hard because it was the club I left. I grew up at Wrexham. I'd supported them my whole life all the way through. And all of a sudden, I felt like I wasn't wanted. Is that where the gambling started, mate? I wouldn't say it in terms of it escalate. It escalated then. I've always, I grew up around it. I mean, being in North Wales from Clandidno, I mean, there's an arcade everywhere you go, isn't there? So I we, we kind of... You know, as a family, we'd always be in arcades. Me and Mike would always be in an arcade. I always loved that anyway. We all, we always played bingo. We had, like, family traditions, Grand National. Scratch cards at Christmas. Uh, I mean, who has a scratch card at eight on the top of the stocking? But, you know, and I loved it. I loved it from a young age. It was fun. It was enjoyable. Then as a YTS, I mean, leaving school and get walking into that Collier's Park, it was everyone was just doing it that you know the environment was you, you can see why you know so many people gamble because you know certainly athletes most people were and you kind of do it as a bit of a you want to be part of something you want to be sociable yts we used to go to the bookmakers most days and put bets on uh first team were doing it the horses would be on and when you do get called up to the first team you know it's playing cards at the back of the bus and again you want to be accepted, so you almost join in. Uh, so, but again, all that up until that point, it was always fun. It was enjoyable. It was something I enjoyed doing. I think once the injuries came, I, I didn't leave, and and I think that always sat with me. I had a real opportunity to leave and play higher, and then you don't quite know the next bit. And then the injury was really difficult to deal with at the wrong time. Then the second injury, then almost being casted out and. And then I always had enjoyed gambling, but now it got to a point where I just gambled more and more. And then it, it, that that's where it then escalated. Mark, we had a question um, in from one of our listeners, Gareth Collins, which probably ties in quite well here. He asks, was the club aware of your struggles at the time? And was there sort of anyone there to help you at the time? No, no. I think what had started to happen was... I think people must have thought I was a bit, I was quite reactive. My, 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 when I was gambling heavily, it, it got to a point where my behavior changed, my personality changed. So I became, I became quite reactive on the training ground. I was, I, I'd say what I'd think because nothing else bothered me. I kind of didn't want to be there. So I kind of wanted to get out of there. So I, I think players in the end, I mean, it'd be interesting if we asked people, I think people would have a negative, you know, opinion of me back then um so it could be a case of our oh, it was hard work or he was this um and i remember the way it was going i remember sitting in the change room and someone was saying something about dean saunders because we we lived under almost like this it was almost like control I mean, he used to come in at five o'clock and do the groundsman's job and then tell the groundsman this is how you need to do it i mean he's not a groundsman uh that's what i love now that the groundsman charlie who's who's on the documentary and and, you know, he's he's doing great things for the club. I think, you know, there's times he was treated just like I was, like like, like you're a nobody, like you're below people. I mean, no one's below anyone. And that's the feeling, unfortunately, whether whether being at the top did that at times. Uh, it, it, like watching stuff like that was was bad. So it was almost like, oh, Mark's just, Mark's a nightmare, basically. Um, and I remember saying, I said, oh, Saunders is nice, is this, is that. And someone had reported it back. Um, and it basically was, yeah, I won't, I won't really play again, and I didn't. And he made every, every, everything he had in his power to really that I didn't go on that pitch. I actually scored two back-to-back hat tricks, and he still found it difficult to to play me or give me a chance. So anything I'd done in that perfect year it was almost like it was all, it was forgotten. But no, no one saw it. I would say the the physio Ritson, the fitness coach Mal. They they saw a young lad who clearly wasn't where he was, but they didn't know why. But they worked so hard to try and get me fit, and you know, credit to them. So I I, I speak to Ritz. I speak to both actually. Um, and I've seen Ritz recently. He's around the Welsh leagues, and yeah, they um, he Ritz obviously tried to get me fit and wanted me back firing, and Mal worked really hard with me when he could, but they could see I was being pushed out and. But, you know, it kind of just just happened that way. Yeah, you sort of see the, I guess, what you'd call like the light and shade of 
Dean Saunders there. Was there times when he was like more more light hearted, or was it quite often that on top of you type of thing? Um, I'd say for me, it was like obviously that first year, it was it was like everything was perfect. So it was almost like yeah, I couldn't do anything wrong. And then almost like once I got the injuries, more players came in. I mean, Mangi, Morel, Pogba, Spite, Danny Wright. It was it was almost like Toy Story. You know, I'm Woody now, aren't I? Getting just your Woody, you get over there. And yeah, did I get a light-hearted moment? Probably not. Probably not. I never once really had a conversation where he, he spoke and said, right, you're fat. Like, like I said, I scored back-to-back hat-tricks in the reserves. I remember Frank Sinclair coming in one day after the reserves, he said, he's just scored the best hat-trick I've, I think I've seen. And then you're thinking, right, go back in, get a buzz about you. Wasn't bothered. And then I, he actually, he had to put me on the bench. There was no one else. Great. So I, I'm getting in because of injuries and not because of my form. And he put me on against Fleetwood. We lost 1-0 and I played 18 minutes or so. And when I got on the coach, Ritson and Mal were, were buzzing because they thought, you're back. And Ritson actually gave me a high five and said, you're back. You, you know, first appearance in ages it was. And I thought, this is it. Keep the form going. Week after, I just got left out. Didn't even get spoke to, and and that's what it was like. It was difficult. Sounds like quite a toxic environment, really. It was, yeah. That year it was, and 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 I remember for me it was. I mean, other players might say, you know, Andy Mangan, you know, manager of Bristol, is it Bristol Rovers now? Mm. He used to go in for a cup of tea with Saunders every day, half nine in his office, as you do as the striker. He he must have thought it was great, but. I can't speak negative of that because I guess it's the same as him coming and giving me a beer instead of Mike Proctor. So I've been on both ends, you know, and it, it was great when I was, you know, every interview, it was like, I've got all the curtains actually. <laughs> um, my men moved house and I got everything out the attic for the first time in, in 10 years or so. And it's like, Mark's this, Mark. And you read it and you think, wow, he used to think that of me. And then I think at the end bit, think wow how it changed it almost brought it all back but I remember being on the race course on on one on a Thursday it was I was in good form and Wrexham were just we, we were losing a few games we, we were in the playoffs but we weren't in form we were just still staying in there it was the year we lost to Lewin and he um and he had us all in a circle and he, he goes come on we need to get back to it you know we're not doing this we're not doing that he said you know I'm gonna have to play Mark if it doesn't get any better and I remember just being, honestly, I stood there and it was like, I can't believe you just said that. And one of the players who I barely even spoke to, he just, he even looked at me and goes, is he really? And he got on really well with him. He said, I can't believe you just said that. And I said, no, I can't. And he said, and he, he kind of seen it. And he said, are you all right? And I went, yeah. And I said, I'm kind of used to it. And off I went, go home. And that's where I think, you know, when you talk about addiction and escapism and, yeah, the only way I could escape feelings like that was was gambling because I guess I was in control of that and I'd lost control of my career because it, it was falling away. I mean, it, it, it sounds awful to be honest with you, mate. Like, I mean, that sounds it's very pointed, isn't it? Like, it's um, he's trying to make an impact almost, it sounds like, with those kinds of comments. I mean, you, you know, you've mentioned the gambling a couple of times. Um, you know, thank you for being so open to talking about it, number one. Um, talk to us about, you know, how, how bad it, it got. Yeah, well, from that year, I then I, I knew I had to leave. I, my, I, I played the last game of this, the, the, the calendar season against Luton. It was the reserves we were put out. We actually had a really good reserve side, you know, Lee Fowler. Um, I think Johnny Hunt played left-back, who obviously went on and played football league. Maxi, I think, was in goal. Uh, Brownie um, and we actually played some good stuff we drew 1-1 with Luton on the day and I got injured uh, and I had a really good game it was my last Wrexham appearance and in about the 75th minute I landed on my, my right foot again my ligaments went and it was almost like you know I can't even play without even getting injured um, so I knew I needed a fresh start Saunders knew I was injured you know, he knew I got taken off and the physio said he's done his ligaments. And I remember we, I had to go in on the Sunday the next day and he said, oh, I was going to play you Tuesday in the playoffs against Luton. You were brilliant yesterday. And I was like, 
but I'm injured. And he was like, oh, oh, is it all right? I went, no, about six weeks, eight weeks again. He went, oh, I was going to play you. It's like, you've not played me all season. And then that was even a little kick in the, it was like, well, were you? Then my head's going, was I going to play if I didn't get injured? And anyway, I went to Kidderminster, but at that point through that stage, the gambling, I think had gone too far. So now it was, I was gambling too much and I was losing too much money. And then I, I dropped money at Kidderminster. Then I had to fend the addiction, which where, where credit cards came in. And, and that's where, you know, it took six months at Kidderminster and the manager pulled me. He didn't want me at the football club. He said, Mark, you know, I want you to leave the club. You're causing problems, uh, difficult to coach, etc." cetera. Um, and yeah, I think that's where my personality changed. And that's hard when you look back now at 35, I think, you know, I, I missed out on, on big moments or even moments to rectify my career. But my behaviour and attitude, my professionalism, it, it had changed. So I get, and then it, you know, from Kidderminster to Chester, it kind of just started, can I say that word on here? Um, but it start, it just started to, yeah, it kind of escalated out of control. And I'll be honest, I think I always had that reactive nature in me through that time as I was gambling. And, and it wasn't really until I went into recovery at 30, I thought, yeah, I've, I've not only let a lot of managers down and teammates, but I've, I've certainly let myself down how I was through my career. We'll go back to talk about um, some more of the characters in the squad and, your, and yeah. your, your memories at Wrexham. But lastly, on this, just tell us about how you got out of the hole that you got into, because I'm sure there'll be people listening to this who might be in a really similar situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I get messages all the time and phone calls to to help people. So it's prevalent. A lot of people find themselves in in this situation, even being at the ground last week, um, on, on a match day, there was a couple of people that approached me. So, uh, it, unfortunately it's something that exists, but yeah, in terms of getting out of it, I mean, the best thing I did was, I mean, it was late. I was 30. It taught me to hit my rock bottom, but it's, um, yeah, getting the help and speaking and talking and going in and, you know, support groups and getting counselling um, certainly has, has got me to where I am. But the power of talking was was the main bit. And, and yeah, and I look back and think, you know, I could have spoke to someone maybe at, through my, my injuries, 22, 23, you know, certainly 25 when, you know, I'm starting losing large amounts of money and gamble more. And it shouldn't have taken me till I was 30. And that's why I do the work I do. You, you shouldn't have to hit that rock bottom. You know, there's certainly moments where intervention can take place and through education I hope I hope that happens and that's why I, I like I say I do what I do but it is difficult because unfortunately we wait until there's no means or you're at your worst or you know there's no money left type thing or you're in the worst you know position you are with your mental health and and like I say it should not get to that you know talking it, it is everything in it and personally I look back I think it saved my life Tell us about what you do, do Mark. Uh, just delivering, obviously, education and, and raising mm. awareness to to top athletes throughout the world. Uh, which is that I think I'd be here five years ago, and uh, not in a chance. So it's it's almost like I've got a second shot at. Yeah, I'm not on the pitch, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to play. Obviously, football was was everything I loved, but to have an impact in sport and and football being a, a main part of that you know, with them top athletes and helping them and raising that awareness and, and making sure they don't make their mistakes um, is it gives me that purpose that I think I didn't have. You know, I never felt enough. That year I felt enough for whatever reason. That year, like I said at the start, it was everything and more and the feeling of it was unbelievable. Away from that, I, I was always fighting something for my career and it's hard. Professional sport's really difficult. You know, it's cutthroat. I mean, I, I was telling someone last week, even I went from starting to on the bench to 17th man in seven days and not one word was said. And it's like, your mind is going, what's happened? Did I play well enough then? Well, I was pushed on the bench and I'm not even involved now. And mm. it's so difficult. And, and through that, you've got to just be so strong mentally. And, and I don't think I was. I don't think I had that... Uh, you know, strong in some senses, but 
It was so difficult. Like, I miss a chance, and all I'm thinking is, like, everyone's thinking, oh, he's missed that, he's missed that, and I'd overthink it. And it can be a dark place. Um, but, yeah, it's, professional sport is, is, is tough. Well, no, we're, we're all very glad that you've managed to um, get that second wind and it's great, the work that you're doing. Um, back to that season, as you say, when you were really high, uh, going really well, you were on a yep. real high. Uh, your strike partner at one point was Jefferson Louis, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Quite a character. We've got a listener question actually from Ben Williams who said, how much of a nutcase was Jeff Louis? Not how I would have phrased the question, but uh, tell us what he was like. Oh, you know what, yeah. It's weird because... the. St- the story behind the actual next next bit, because Jeff Levy left, didn't he? And Dean Saunders said to me, basically, I've got you a number nine from the championship, which was Gaz Taylor. But we just, unfortunately, for whatever reason, not everyone has that connection, do they, as players? You know, and me and Jeff Levy, for whatever reason, on that pitch, it just worked. Uh, we just, like, bounced off each other. He was scoring, I was scoring. We'd create, we'd have a little... And, and, and yeah, I think... Um, Dean Saunders at the time thought, listen, we'll get Gaz here and he, he's a better player than Jeff. It'll work better. And it didn't. And, but as a character, honestly, <laughs> he was like nothing else. I remember we had a cup game <clears throat> and he was he was starting. We were starting. We, we, we were in the services. And he's just, everyone's filling their bag, getting, you know, their green match, all these things. And he's just got four Cornettos <laughs> in, his, uh, in his bag. He's just going on like that. And he's he always he calls everyone bruv. Mm. And he's got this like, he's got this, he does that to you. <laughs> it's like you're a bird next to him. And he's going, hello. And that's just how he is. And he's like, bruv, bruv. He's doing that. Anyway, he's walked off with his four cornettos. And uh, Saunders is inspecting everyone's bag at the front. But he hadn't done it before, so he's not expecting it. So everyone's getting the part. Next minute, he looks in Jeff Louis' bag. He goes, You've got four cornettos. We're playing in a minute. He goes, Yeah, I'll be all right, bruv. This is the thing. <laughs> and it's like, You can't have four cornettos, Jeff. He's like, I'll be sound. And we're howling. Anyway, went to the back of it. He goes, You're not having four cornettos before this game. He said, Anyway, he sat at the back of the bus eating these cornettos. Uh, anyway, Saunders put him on the bench. <laughs> that's what it, it uh, Jeff just honestly lived in a different world it was that bit it was so refreshing and he was so friendly he was the nicest honestly nicest guy around the football club he was brilliant but some of the stuff was brilliant oh, I was just he thought he was like he just thought he was brilliant even if he was bad because with Jeff I mean it, you, you probably remember goals like the Eastbourne goal obviously I remember mm. I've seen my hat tricks on the reel, so I look, I watch that, and he's just turned and put it in top bins. Mm. And that's Jeff, he'd score worldies next minute, it would bounce off him, and he'd give the ball away, he'd kick out of play. So it was like one minute he'd be almost Maradona, the next he'd be like Madonna. It's just like <laughs> you didn't know what you were getting off him. But I remember that, that Stevenage game, we went 2 1, and he scored first half. And he, he he wasn't great second half. It was bouncing off him. And then obviously I nicked the winner with eight minutes to go celebrate with the Rex and fans. Great day, 2-1. And we've gone in and Dean Saunders has hammered him. And I, I've never seen a ball looking like it. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh my God, was he that bad to warrant that? But I do think Dean Saunders found it easy to bollock Jeff that year. He was almost the easy one. And he just kind of like, he just used to almost take it. But... He'd never really sent back. He just back. He just made that noise going, yeah. and you knew he just wasn't happy. You knew he wasn't yeah. happy. Anyway, just lick his cornettos and move on. Yeah, he gave him the biggest bollocking ever, oh, and he's walked out. We went to one area. He's hammered him, and the whole room went silent. And as Saunders left, he sat there. He went, just went. I thought I was decent today, and we looked at him, and he was like, "I was like Berbatov, bruv," and he just. <laughs> <laughs> And he's just had the biggest bollock and he went, I was like, Berbatov, bruv. And we, like, he genuinely thought that. And I think <laughs> he just had confidence. He was great to be around, though. It was brilliant. But he's just had the big, like, for me, and I think that that in itself, I think, shows you different in mentality. If Saunders had done that to me, I would have got curled up. I'd have sat there. I wouldn't have said a word. I thought, oh, my God, was I that bad? And he walked as soon as he walked out. I was Berbatov, mate. 
Uh, he, was a, he was a good lad, yeah. Brilliant. Well, only we could all have one of Jefferson Louis Cornettos in it. Yes, that might be the uh, that might yeah. be the key, mightn't it, to happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, on this podcast, we always do what we call like um, a fearless moment. It's the moment that filled you with the most pride when you were playing for Wrexham. Is there anything that comes to mind immediately when you think about that? Um, oh, I've got a couple. I think. I think is it is obviously the debut. I think is a big one because hey yeah, I was I'd like you said at the start seventeen young Mike was playing, family being there, uh, and it's always that big moment. You, you've you've made that step. I mean, you work so hard for me, young lad. And when you when you become a YTS, being a youth, youth team player, you're looking over on you to the first team. It's like I just you want to get over. They're on a different pitch. You, and you're looking over to that pitch again, and when you get that call, and as a what, you, first year, you might you needed for a practice match. Mark Doney, you know, carrots come over. They're all going over to the first team. So intimidating. So that moment, I think, of making your debut. And I hadn't. I had trained a few times with the first team, but I weren't regular. And then on the Friday, Mark go over, and I was in the eleven. I thought, looks like I'm starting tomorrow. I couldn't believe it. And then obviously I start. So then that moment of yeah, representing the club, your first appearance, the fact Mike was playing as well, added added to it. Then personally, again, I think that the hat trick will always be a moment because I think at that point was at the top of my game, just before you know the, the transfer window. I think it was the 20th of December. You're probably thinking I remember all the scores and dates and everything. That's how sad I am, but and I and I just think that third goal in the 91st minute, again, I felt unstoppable. I'm gonna run with this, I'm gonna score the hat trick. And and it, I just went with it. And it and yeah, that moment of this is unbelievable. This is like I'm on top of the world right now. I remember going to get the man of the match, Champagne, and I walked through Wrexham. It was weird being there two weeks ago, walking on the same path 15 years on. And I remember the chairman at the time basically coming out of a closet and he, he had an extra injury fit because I, I weren't on major money at that point it was I, I signed my new contract in the January which bent me up but he, he put put 150 pound in my hand out of, out of this closet so I've just got this this dangling hand and 150 in there so I'm going oh that is like you don't go anywhere Dino will look after you so I'm going to get the man in that champagne and now I've got cash in my hand. And you know what everyone's like when you've got Kim Khan thinking, I'm looking at it thinking, how much is in this now? I want to count this, but I can't count it because the chairman's <laughs> still here. All I want to do is count the money. Uh, but that hat trick, that was a, that was a, a great moment because it was at the pivotal, I think, of that year. Um, and then the, obviously winning 2-1 at Mansfield and me and Mike Brothers both scoring, which I don't know what the record or how long yeah. it was until the Brothers, but that was another nice moment. But yeah, it was... I look at that whole year, to be honest, and, and it all, like I, I sent some photos to the documentary team and I had there's a picture with all the trophies at the end of the year and I thought, wow, it must have been a good year to have won all them. And it's 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 sad at the time how quick it can change. But then I think at 35 now, I've accepted, wow, that, that actually did happen and take the positive from it. Yeah, just bringing that up to sort of, present day um i spoke to you before we did this about you know recently coming back to the club in in your work role and i think to a game after that yeah um what what was that like and what was your what were your thoughts of Wrexham as a football club before that and have they changed now um in terms of before the role no because i'm obviously watching the documentary and and i've i've just i've almost just become that fan again that I was as a kid. And I, and when I watch it, it's like I can see it. You know, the community base has always been there for Wrexham, even when I was there. I don't want, and I said it the other day when I was there on Saturday, don't forget the fans that saved the club when, you know, we had the day you had to get £100,000. And I was there at the time and it was like, we need to get the players' wages, we need to do this, we need to save the club. And, you know, we're getting stories that fans are putting their wedding fund. I mean, I don't know what their missus thought of that. Uh, you know, putting savings away. And the the, the passion and what is in Wrexham, 
is always been there. It's not because, yeah, Ryan Reynolds and Rob coming in has just really helped everything. It's just almost, it's like being a fire and they've just been able to ignite the fire. The fire's already, always been burning. And now, like, with that, it's just added because they needed that little bit of guidance and help, bit, a bit of the financial back, and you pour it all together. But, you know, like I say, it, it's, it's such a passionate town, but you felt like when you played so... And that's why I think it was difficult to leave when I said, because I wanted to be a part of that. And I, and I loved playing under it. But, you know, what when I left initially, and I've, and I've said this, and I don't mean it in a bad way, and I don't think it was anything to do with Wrexham, it was more individuals, but I hated Wrexham when I left. When I left and went to Kidderminster, it's sad because from the age of eight, all I knew was Wrexham all the way to 23. And by the time... By the, from 21 to 23, I couldn't wait to get out of there. And it, it was my whole life for, what, 15 years. And then it was like, I didn't want them to win. Even the year when I got injured on the Saturday, I didn't want them to win the playoffs. And it's like, that sounds really bad, but that's where I was, I think I was really in a bad place mentally. And it took, I think, going away, doing my own thing, I guess, and then really going into recovery, accepting a lot, and then it's nice now that I've just been able to do full turn. Watch, you know, I watched documentary. I love it. You know, being back at Rex and taking Emily, my little girl, last Saturday as a fan. Yeah, I, I look. It's it's the weirdest emotion because you're looking at where the hat trick took place. You got my goal at Lincoln and the injury. Honestly, I'm watching a match, but there's so much more, and I've just got my little girl with me, and that's 15 years on. That's memories, isn't it? Just it's there that won't go. But, yeah, I think seeing the club, the players were brilliant. <clears throat> um, but I thought that anyway, watching the documentary, I think they're really, you know, they're really, the way they talk, the way they are about the club, the passion, but the players in this session, the questions they asked, a few came to me after and the way they spoke. Obviously, they've left testimonials, brilliant. Um, and I look, I think, our oh, fair play, you know, it's, they, they get it. They, they get it and... The truth is, I think I played with players at Wrexham that didn't get it and didn't understand it, yet they were treated better. So it's nice now that there's a good core set of players who really care about the club and, and want to drive it in the right direction. Just moving on to, uh, obviously, you're playing for Carnarvon now, mate. You've been uh, you know, in the Welsh Leagues for a number of years. I've seen you first hand did know and stuff like that. And What's it like playing in front of the Covey Army? And, you know, in terms of Welsh football, their, their fan base is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, it's probably the closest you relate to Wrexham. I think when I say they're about passion and really proud and Carnarvon's the same. So it's probably being at Carnarvon's the next best thing, I think, in terms of part-time football. You, know, you can go to TNS, but there's 200 fans. There's no buzz, there's no nothing. And, and going to Carnarvon this year is almost... No, I'm 35 now. You're at the, you hit that point. You think I'm traveling everywhere. I'm doing this. I'm running round. You know, at what point do you call it? But honestly, when you're playing there, and I mean, you make a, you win a header, you make a tackle, and you get a big eruption and buzz. That I've always thrived off that. So yeah, I, I love playing under that, and and that's what, you know when I when I listen when I sit in the race course and listen to the noise. I just, yeah, I can't help but think, imagine being on that pitch. I'd love it. But yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying it. Um, didn't enjoy, obviously, losing 3-2 today. But again, that's football. Uh, I won't go into the officials. I'll let you do your own work. But no, it's it's very similar. You know, you've got very passionate people who love football clubs. And isn't that what, it, that's what football's all about. And that's where... That's why, you know, teams like Rex and Carvin, it's you get real fan bases, don't you? It's not sofa fans. It's not, you know, people, oh, I support them and don't really follow them. They, you know, look look at the following Rex and Marv, it's unbelievable. And there's a few uh, ex-Reds there as well, mate. I mean, not, not from your time, but um, just had a question from Wonderboy. Um, you know, how are the ex-Reds, Austin Lloyd and Cartwright getting on? I mean, Ryan Austin, unfortunately, is injured at the moment, isn't he? But... How are the others getting on? Yeah, um, Ryan Austin, and for, yeah, like I say, unfortunately injured. A nasty injury as well, actually. But before that, it'd been brilliant. Really good. 
probably, I think, probably too good for Welsh Prem. But again, it's it's so difficult, I think, with everything that's gone on at Wrexham, because they can pick maybe who they can get, it's probably going to be more difficult for a young player to come through now, maybe. You know, you look at Max Clareworth, played a lot in the last previous seasons, not much at the minute. And so, yeah, it's it, it, he's obviously dropped down a level. But, yeah, before the injury was excellent. Ian Cartwright, ever-present, being really good, was brilliant today, actually. Um, really good footballer. Again, I think a bit of a story with you, Anne. You know, I think he got told he weren't at the club through Twitter. Yeah, so we found out things like that. And you just... There's just things in the past that I don't think Wrexham have been great at. And I hope moving forward, they're better. Uh, and Louis Lloyd, really good footballer, um, scored today. Again, I think probably better than Welsh Premier. Not not disregarding the Welsh Prem, but these are young lads that have got something that you know, hopefully they can find themselves back in in full-time football because that's where, you know, as young lads, they want to be. And, you know, they're, they're, you, you players like Louis Lloyd, they're young lads. We finish training. I mean, I've worked all day. I've, I've got to train and I'm thinking, right, I'll get my two hours in. Nine o'clock, them lot are doing extra shooting, heading, running. I'm thinking, I'm getting in my car because I've got to get up in the morning. Um, but, you know, they're, they're hardworking lads and, and I hope they can show what they've got in the Welsh Prem and maybe get that shot. Um, but know that three great lads uh, and, yeah, uh, all doing well at the moment. Obviously, Bar Ryan's injury, unfortunately. Yeah, just another listener question, mate, from uh, Adam Harvey. Uh, going back to the to the gambling thing, really. Um, but what would you say to youngsters now coming through, um, you know, and trying to help them avoid the path that, unfortunately, you went down when you were a young lad? And what does prevention look like? I'd say, I mean, we do a lot in terms of we, we have a gambling spectrum. So it kind of goes from occasional gambler, regular gambler, um, heavy gambler into then a disordered gambler and you're going from left to right it's basically when it's fun when it's social when it's enjoyable which I said it was for me all the way till probably the the injury um, and then it can take anything at that point so whether it's injury you know athletes are under obviously extreme vulnerability anyway from injuries to criticism to you know escapism because of the pressures they're under the competitive nature we've got so it's kind of it's understanding your own it's always looking at your own relationship with gambling i look back now and i know i can look back when i was a occasional a regular gambler i can see when it turned heavy and i can see the difference to when it went disordered and i can i could if i sat with you and said what happened on each thing i can see moments and reasons why I turned almost through this spectrum. So it's so important that you keep checking in, you know, are you spending more than you can afford? Are you chasing losses? Are you basically being consumed by it? When it gets to a point where nothing else matters, that's where it's taken over your life, whether that's, you know, I didn't want to play football. I used to be in the changing room gambling on my phone at half time and didn't want to be there. You know, I love football and now with, you know, this lens on, I think, how did I waste that? I can't believe that. It's the hardest bit. That's the regret. So when you start, you know, neglecting family members, not wanting to be there, wanting to isolate yourself, that's when you know, you know, a problem's occurring. Uh, so prevention's massive. I mean, there, you'll know when something's not quite right. But I think the hardest part is, is, is breaking down that stigma for people to be, Right, I need to talk to someone. That's the hardest bit because it is embarrassing. It's shameful. You've lost a large amount of money. You're doing things. You've become a liar. And I used to lock the bathroom and, and spin the roulette in the bathroom for you know losing thousands and come downstairs as if nothing had happened. I used to lie about my whereabouts. You know, you, you do everything to gamble and and you almost live a double life. So you you will know if you're on the wrong end of that spectrum. But the, the, to, to get that prevention, it's just so important that you talk and, and speak to someone. I think we are getting somewhere. I think because of what's going on, you know, certainly in football, we're, we're hearing it more and more, aren't we, with different things in the Premier League, Championship. Uh, people are talking about it, which is now, I think, people are opening up more. And, and we're just getting away from that macho man culture. I mean, I grew up in it. it was, it was horrible. You just dealt with it. 
anything that went on, deal with it. You couldn't almost speak about your emotions as a man. Um, and now I think we're just breaking that down a bit. Because unfortunately, life isn't easy, is it? And we get thrown things where they forget sport. It could be personal. It could be breakups. It could be grief. Um, and all them things can really impact our mental health. So, so important that we talk. Uh, and like I said, at the age of 30, talking, say it helped my life. But yes, it didn't save my football career, but it saved my next part. And, and I'm so grateful now that now I can impact the game that I love the most. Let's do the quick fire round. Andy Gilpin, who usually does this, is not here, so bear with me. But basically, first thing that comes into your head, uh, a quick number of quick fire questions. Question number one to you, Mark. Who was the most skillful player uh, during your time at Wrexham of your teammates? Um, skillful, skillful. Oh, it's really difficult. And I know it's quick fire. Um, oh. I'll go. Oh. Carlos Edwards. Nice. Yeah. Good answer. Um, who was the worst dressed? Worst dressed? Mm. He'll hate me for saying this, Gaz Evans. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, who was the? Who do you think was the most underrated from your time? Who didn't get the plaudits they deserved, uh, perhaps from the fans? Oh, from the fans. Um, or from manager, whatever you want it to yeah. be. Is it supposed to be quicker than this? It's really. <laughs> I am thinking fifty years back. That's all right. You could take your time. Some people have, uh, have have give us very long answers, and it turns into a, a very long. Actually, Ryan Reynolds was was, was like that. He was, was terrible at the quick fire. So you're in good company. Oh, because I'm just trying to. Ah, uh, good one actually. John Walters. Uh, and again, it was a. Uh, his balls off didn't score many goals, and I remember Dennis Smith offering him a really not a great contract and he was like no I'm better than that and he wanted Lee McEvely because he scored goals he offered him more and John Walters left and obviously went to Chester two good games against Roy Keane's Ipswich he was in the championship and that's football I guess so uh, he worked so I mean I made my debut with John but he did used to work so hard and yeah I guess he wasn't appreciated for that because he didn't score enough uh, lastly who is the player that you would least like to fight Ashley Westwood. <laughs> I genuinely think he'd probably bite me. He's just a, he, even though he's a short man, I wouldn't say lad, I mean, he came in as captain, didn't he? But he was tough. He was hard as nails and he would, I mean, it was great set pieces for him and Mike used to have a good thing. He used to score quite a few, but he was just hard and he'd always get if there was if there was anything kicking off in the tunnel or in the dressing room or from dressing room to dressing room he'd be at the front of it and you could just see him I used to be on the you could just see like his mouth the saliva I thought I'd, I'd or I wouldn't like to be on the end of an Ashley Westwood uppercut no <laughs> what about Lee, uh, Lee McEvely Lee McEvely looked yeah, like a bad net as well Lee McEvely would, do you know what he was, he was just a really nice lad I, I did it was good actually I did Lee McEvely's boots as I was a second year and I used I did Bay, oh, another one actually with Westwood centre off again Bayless Dave Bayless um, I used to do Bayless's boots as a first year uh, he used to have uh, Copa Mondial just black centre off and he used to say, he paid me every week. And he said, if I score, I'll give you. So he didn't bloody score, did he? So I didn't get the big enough. <laughs> and then Lee McCavill used to give me these flashy boots. And he used to say, right, I'll give you. Basically, it was like it was like £20 a win and £10 a goal or something. And as a YTS, you used to get like £66 as a white first year, £90 as a second year. But I was cleaning Lee McCavill's boots. He scored two. They'd won. It's like an extra, you know, 40 quid. And to me at the time, like, oh, God. So you watch it. And like, things like that, I, uh, they've stopped it now. But things like that are really good because not only you, you, you're watching the first team, you you know, you, you're building that rapport as well for me. It was mm. like, Lee, all right, so Dave Baylor sometimes would come in and throw the boots in the corner, sort them out. Um, but Lee McCavley would be like, sort these out. And then he'd score and he'd be like, you're building that, you know, Report yeah. them almost six months later. I'm playing in the same team, so 
yeah, it was good, but yeah, he was a good lad with it. And yeah, I think things like that are important, but yeah, I wouldn't, I, again, I wouldn't like to be on the end of a Lee McKev uppercut. No, no, I, I don't think you're alone there. Um, Mark, <laughs> thank you very much for your time. Um, do you want to stick with us for five minutes to do predictions or are you stuck for time? No, that's fine, yeah. Your gentleman, thank you very much. Before we move on to predictions, Liam, um, I think you wanted to mention a fundraiser, didn't you? Yeah, um, so someone else doing some good work in the community at the moment is Mr. Ollie Palmer. He's currently a champion for Hope House Children's Hospices, who've got a campaign called Final Moments Matter, and it's basically to fund end-of-life care um, for children. So Ollie's currently got a fundraising page, which is charityextra.com slash final moments matter slash Palmer. Um, and every pound raised will be matched. And he's also auctioning off one of his shirts and one of Mullins shirts in a frame, both signed, which is currently going for, I've just got it up now, 2000 quid. Uh, yeah. Pretty decent stuff. Decent stuff. Please dig deep for that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great cause. Um, but yeah, as promised, time for predictions. Tommy, if I come to you first, uh, Wrexham have got uh, Morecambe on Saturday. No midweek games, just the one game this week uh, at home. Uh, do you reckon we'll bounce back? Yeah, I do, mate. I do. I can't see us following. Uh, well, we certainly can't be as bad as what we were yesterday. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to go um, nice, comfortable one. I'm going to go 2-0, I think. Nice. In double. Liam? Yeah, I always fancy us at home. Our, our, our form is rudely good. Uh, so I think I'll go for a nice 3-1 win. All right. Uh, I'll bring the negativity back into the podcast. Oh, I'm going gonna, gonna to say that we're going to have a little mini slump, uh, just a couple of games. So I reckon we'll we'll struggle. We'll limp to a one-all draw uh, on Saturday. Mark, what do you reckon? Oh, well, after watching them, I obviously weren't there yesterday, so I don't know what fully went on. But after seeing them at home... Uh, 2-0 uh, Gillingham played some good football as well um, so I fancy them at home with the crowd I'm going to go for a big 4-0 whoa there we go brilliant love that from Mark and Mark thank you very much for your Mark time Mark Williams hat trick Mark Williams hat trick <laughs> Je Jefferson Louis with the Cornettos. <laughs> with the Cornettos, yeah. Ashley West with the headband. <laughs> uh, Mark, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it and appreciate you being so open as well. Um, thank you very much. And to all the listeners, you know where to get in touch with us. Thanks for listening and watching and doing everything else. And goodbye. Thank you.